Welcome to Sound DeFi. I'm your host, Chris Berg. Excited for our special guest today. He writes a great newsletter called The DeFi Report. He's also the uh, Director of Ecosystem Strategy with Invenium, Michael Nadon. Mike, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here. So The DeFi Report, I'm going to put this up here. You put out a really interesting piece about a lot of the different blockchains, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But I think let's just start with what is, especially since you eat, sleep, and breathe this space, I'm curious if someone, you know, what is DeFi? How would you define decentralized finance? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's a, it's a pretty broad topic. I would say that, you know, the way that I think about DeFi is it's really just any existing financial service and, and kind of highlighting there, like existing, like we're not recreating finance or anything here. We're really just taking existing financial services, putting them onto public blockchains, which are open data infrastructure. And by doing that, we can utilize smart contracts and essentially cut out a lot of the kind of intermediaries through a lot of these services. So lending, borrowing, decentralized exchanges, and really what this is ultimately ends up doing is reduces costs, you know, really compresses costs down when you're just using computer code to kind of execute trades and, and transfer of value and payments and all of that. Uh, you allow the users to control their assets. So you, you can use your, your asset as collateral to get a loan. The assets are sitting on the blockchain on this shared infrastructure. Um, this also makes the markets much more transparent and auditable is another benefit of DeFi. Interestingly, the yields within DeFi are a little bit different from traditional finance. We've actually seen, uh, you know, during kind of the pandemic when the Fed had the interest rates kind of suppressed down to zero, yields were higher in DeFi. And now we're actually seeing that inverse a little bit where we're seeing treasury yields go up. And obviously we've seen, you know, some volatility in, in the DeFi space. So yields have actually come down. So it's kind of interesting to see that, that play out. And then, you know, this is all permissionless, right? So anybody can access it. If you have an internet connection, if you have a wallet address, uh, you can participate. Uh, and then you have the real-time settlement of the blockchains, which is really uh, an added benefit. And then you get reduced counterparty risk, right? Because these are just smart contracts executing the trades. So, uh, and then you get the benefit of the security of the blockchain. So just a few of the benefits of DeFi. Um, and we can talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the market today and kind of where this potentially is going. But happy to yeah. dig in wherever you want. What, what I'm taking from what you're saying is, hey, Chris, there's a lot more security and transparency. And yet, if you go out into the world, I think that's why this conversation is so important. If I went down the street right now and talked about either Bitcoin or decentralized finance, or like, oh, yeah, that's for criminals, that's for the cartels. And yet, you're basically saying the exact opposite. I am. Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it is interesting that that narrative is out there. You know, today, Bitcoin is, you know, anyone that's using that knows that your wallet address is a, it is a pseudonymous, you know, string of letters and numbers. And so that piece of it is pseudonymous. You know, it's my identity isn't tied to my Bitcoin wallet. But if I use the blockchain in any way, that is fully auditable, right? And so users, if you're using this stuff in America, you're going through probably a regulated exchange like Coinbase or Kraken or Gemini, you're going through KYC. And so, you know, this is really becoming a, a tool, I would say, for, for law enforcement versus something where criminals are using it for illicit activities, which is pretty much in line with how past technologies have developed as well. You know, pagers, cell phones, you know, these were adopted by criminals early on as well. And then they become tools for law enforcement. So I think the former director of the FBI has come out and said, you know, if you're doing a transaction in Bitcoin, 
it's similar to doing a transaction in a dark alley between two people in cash, but the entire world is watching you, right? So this is fully auditable. We can see these transactions on the blockchain uh, and you have that full transparency. I think the one missing piece with Bitcoin, and we may not see this in Bitcoin, but we'll likely see this in DeFi, is identity coming into these wallet addresses where institutions can come into DeFi because they can identify their counterparties uh, and they can trade and, and use DeFi within compliance. So I think that's kind of the direction DeFi is going. We can do KYC, attach that to the chain, and then have identity within the blockchain space. So I think I like how you say, Chris, yeah, I don't know why the storyline is this way. I mean, I know there was the Silk Road piece over in China with Bitcoin for a little bit, but then you think back to, I can't remember the exact name of it. It was the Continental gas line that was hacked. But if you remember, they recovered all that Bitcoin because it was on the blockchain. So right. Yeah. Uh, if you want to comment on that, great. If not, let's just sort of move on to, I think the one piece about DeFi though is, you know, it sounds great the way you explain it, yet there's still, you know, it, it's it's pretty wonky, still a lot of friction. Where do you see it headed? Yeah, so I think maybe we can walk through an example, like, uh, and maybe that'll be bring a little more clarity to this. So like, I, I think an example, you could look at like decentralized exchanges, for example, there's a number of them. Uniswap is the largest one out there. Susi Schwab is another one. They're on multiple chains now. So mo we see most of this activity on Ethereum, uh, but we're seeing activity also popping up on Solana and Avalanche and some of the other, these other layer one blockchains. But when you look at something like Uniswap, what's, what's really unique here is they built this protocol on top of Ethereum. And so what this really is, is it's like a a really organic marketplace where, where where traders can access liquidity and the liquidity is deposited in there by users all over the world, right? And then so then the, the trader is paying a fee directly to the liquidity providers and that's not, none of that is going to the actual protocol or this intermediary at all. It's a perfectly organically formed market. So I think, you know, the way that you could sort of conceptualize that with like a Web2 company would be, if Uber, you know, as a technology platform, just allow the ability for riders and drivers to, to come together as a marketplace, but 100% of the revenue went to the drivers, right? So that's that's essentially what Uniswap is and what, what you know, Aave is a decentralized lending and borrowing. These are organically formed markets where there's no intermediary taking a cut of, of the trade. Uh, so that's kind of where this is right now. Uniswap is the largest, you know, decentralized exchange out there. They did $1.4 billion of revenue last year. Again, that's all paid out to liquidity providers. So where is it going? You know, I, I view Uniswap. I think ultimately these are these are sort of the back end solutions where I think the, the banks that are forward thinking or the exchanges that are forward thinking will start to integrate some of this stuff underneath. So you'll You'll be able to access DeFi through maybe a more traditional bank front end, but the the actual protocols will be underneath, and that, those will be the crypto cryptocurrencies. So I would expect like maybe to see like something like Robinhood integrate with Uniswap, right? Or some of these neo banks will start to offer you know yields within DeFi. The user interface will be through your typical kind of traditional banking interface, but it'll be DeFi underneath it. That's kind of where I see this going. Initially, you talked about, you know, one nice thing about DeFi is it lowers costs. And I mentioned just a moment ago, there's still some friction. They've, you know, set up the MetaMask account and understand yeah. the swap and those kind of things. So for a layperson listening, I mean, what's the ultimate benefit to me? Why should I get educated, get involved in this decentralized finance space? 
I think all of the the reasons I just I just mentioned, you know, the the control of the asset is really interesting. I think so. You know, if you were to, and I think the best way to uh, for anybody who who is trying to learn about this stuff is to actually use it, right? Get involved, set up a wallet. There are some interfaces that are fairly uh, user friendly today. Zerion is one, Zapper is another one. But I think what's interesting here is the assets are always sitting on the blockchain, which is open data infrastructure. So as a user of DeFi, if I want to go through one interface and that's on Zerion and they have some nice integrations with lending and borrowing, with, with trading, with staking, so they're making it easy for me. But if I wanted to switch, right, that's sort of like I set up my banking through them. If I wanted to switch, all I would do is just go to another website, connect my wallet, and with two clicks, I now have a new view of my assets and the different infrastructure that they integrate with. So that's, to me, that looks like, you know, I'm able to switch from Bank of America to Citibank with a click of a button, right? And I think that's what's really interesting about DeFi is ultimately the consumer wins here. So I think that's what's so cool about this. And then the just the way that it introduces these new sort of economic and incentive structures, as I described with, with Uniswap, and just kind of the way that these markets can kind of organically come together without the need for an intermediary sitting there. Well, you put out a DeFi report uh, just recently, and you talked a lot about some of the different blockchains out there. So I want to give you a chance just to share, you know, an overview, give people a chance if they want to go read it, how can they go do that? But it was really, really well done. If you're someone that's new to blockchain, um, what would you say is the most important takeaway from this? So I think that the most important takeaway for me, and I think sort of what I've been thinking a lot about as we've sort of entered into this bear market, I think you get a lot of clarity in the bear market of what what's actually being used versus what's sort of hype. And there's just a ton of noise, I would say, in this space still. We're still incredibly early. And so what I'm really looking at myself is just what's going on with the fundamentals of some of these blockchains. You know, this latest report that you pulled up here is really just looking at some of the largest layer one blockchains in the space. And this was really the first sort of bull first cycle crypto kind of tends to move in cycles. And this was the first cycle where we had like this introduction of a number of competing layer one blockchains. And so now that the sort of dust has settled, we can kind of look at these things, see how many people are building on top of them, how many applications, how many actual users are, are on here, how many wallet addresses are using these networks and try to get a feel for kind of the, the network effects that are starting to take place. And really, Ultimately, what I'm trying to determine is, are we going to see a world where there's just a multi-chain, right? So you're going to have a number of layer one blockchains that sort of serve as like the base layer protocols upon which the, you know, all of the different applications get built. So an example is like Ethereum is a layer one blockchain. On top of that, you have DeFi, NFTs, Metaverse, and we're seeing these other layer ones start to come about. And, and I'm looking for this a similar network effect taking place on top and ultimately trying to figure out where that where value is going to accrue. And obviously this we're building out an ecosystem within Invenium. So it's helpful to kind of see where the activity is moving throughout the ecosystem. You've got a great background, Michael, in, in um, you know commercial real estate, obviously in finance. And so you just mentioned Invenium, you're the director of the ecosystem strategy. Share with us a little bit about what are the problems that Invenium is solving for its clients? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you as you mentioned, my background's in commercial real estate and uh, spent about 10 years in this space. And 
one of the, the things that I would always see, you know, during like kind of an appraisal process of valuing with with private market assets, you're you're valuing these once a year, marking them uh, to fair value, and that is a a pretty onerous experience when you have a hundred properties in your portfolio. So when I saw what Invenium could could do utilizing the blockchain and utilizing artificial intelligence to really kind of like automate a lot of the processes around data capture and and valuation to potentially move an asset that you might value once a year to quarterly or potentially monthly. And then what that does is it it potentially changes the, the liquidity profile of that asset. So that's really the core of what Invenium does. It's a really a data operating system that has workflows that allows us to price these assets on a monthly basis. We bring in uh, JLL, uh, CBRE, Cushman Wakefield to provide the third-party marks. And that's really the benefit that, that we're providing to, to our clients. Ultimately, the, the whole vision here is to make private market assets more liquid and trade more like, like a public equity, like a stock. So that comes later with, with tokenization, and we're building out an ecosystem to kind of facilitate that, that end state of where we can really kind of change the, the structure of private markets. If you don't mind, walk us through sort of a, a case study, if you would, right? Like you just mentioned, I, let's say I've got a portfolio, I've got 100 uh, pieces of real estate in that portfolio, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know what? I need more liquidity out of this. I come to Invenium. What's that onboarding process, and how do I start to generate more liquidity out of these assets? Sure. So I would say, you know, and, and I can give an example of like, you know, I used to work uh, at a MIT's endowment, and we had about 100 properties and there was there were opportunities to do future development projects and to to take on a new project that's going to be you know potentially six or seven buildings a couple billion dollars uh, most uh, organizations aren't going to have the uh, financing to do that up front so we had to actually sell some of our existing portfolio recapitalize portfolio to finance the, the future development. So where this is going is that, you know, you could potentially start to value these assets on a monthly basis with a third party bark, you're anchoring that data to the blockchain so it's that it's immutable. And then, you know, if let's say you see a future opportunity out there and instead of selling off all of your high performing assets, you might want to tokenize one or two of those assets bring in investors and maybe you sell a quarter of the building or half of the building and you retain the other half, you keep those cash flows and now you've financed a new opportunity. Um, so it just gives the the asset owner, the manager, just a lot more optionality to in managing a portfolio and taking advantage of future opportunities out there. I mean, that is an exciting, exciting conversation. I just had a, had a great conversation with Sherry Noonan from Rialto Markets, and she was talking about private assets as well, going to like a $30 trillion industry, which that's a big number. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I think the way to think of this, and I always try to go back in history and look at how markets have evolved, and it's usually technology that changes things. Uh, when you think about, you know, how market structures change with the rise of the internet and you know, I, th- I really believe that private markets are actually larger than public markets. That if we can start to unlock liquidity here, you're just going to see an explosion of, you know, of value added into the economy. So let's talk about the tokenization piece, because I had a good conversation with Daniel Cohr as well from Tokeny Solutions. And like he said, hey, Chris, you still got to have the fundamentals of the business, right? So great. I've got these hundred properties. I might want to go expand my portfolio. So I'm going to tokenize, but I still need someone to obviously buy those tokens for, to generate the liquidity, right? So yep. what am I, am I just coming out with sort of a, an investment 
opportunity here and saying, hey, look, give us X for this many tokens. You're going to get this kind of ROI or what's my selling proposition to these people? Yeah, the, the, so exactly. So if you're if you're a landlord and you're looking to bring in investors, obviously you, you certainly need a value proposition that is rooted in the cash flows of that asset. So this is not, you know, if you tokenizing an asset doesn't magically make it uh, more valuable. It's really more, uh, what are the what are the cash flows of that asset? Why would an investor want to hold that asset? And then if you're an investor, you know, if, if you came to me and I had the option of investing in building A versus building B and they had similar, they, they maybe, maybe they were located in similar areas and they had similar cash flows, similar cap rates. I might go with building B if I knew that that was going to be a liquid token and there was going to be a, a secondary market there because I might not want to lock up my capital for five to 10 years, right? So that's, I think that's ultimately what the decision comes down to for an investor is, okay, I've got two, if, you know, if they're both interesting assets and they're going to, they're going to kick off a dividend or a cash flow, maybe I want liquidity, right? Maybe I want to get out of that asset. Maybe I want to use it as collateral once we sort of onboard some of this into the DeFi space. So this is kind of going back to DeFi where we think that the future of DeFi is real world assets, right? And people using collateral such as commercial real estate to to get a loan within DeFi. So you, you're opening up that that liquidity. And because of Invenium doing, like you said, the monthly or quarterly valuations, I've actually got a real price that I can go out and share with people and say, hey, this is why you should give me X, Y, or Z for this token. Um, you just mentioned a moment ago about where this space is going. And I guess that's what I'd love to know from you. Let's go out. I was asked this question, you know, 24, 36 months. What's going on in the decentralized finance private asset world? Yeah. So, um, you know, these are, I would say we're tackling really big problems here. So like when you're trying to make private market assets more liquid, these are, you know, just massive markets, huge addressable markets. So it's going to take some time. I would say that where we're at in the stage, the, the technology, I would say is pretty much ready. And some of these use cases, some of the companies that are building in the space are ready to deliver some of these products and services. And you're seeing some of the large institutional players starting to, to see the value. I think we still have some education that needs to kind of continue to happen within the space. But I think if you looked at two or three years, you're going to start to see, you know, large, large asset managers like the Black Rocks of the world looking to, to tokenize assets, get, you know, build out the liquidity on these alternative trading systems that we're starting to see pop up. Uh, there's like six or seven that are doing this, that have broker-dealer license, fully registered, SEC compliant, um, that can do this on, on blockchain rails. So I think it starts with data, and that's really where Invenium sits. And then you have the tokenization layer, and then ultimately you have that kind of secondary trading. I think ultimately you'll see you know, NASDAQ and you know, Euronext and a lot of these large exchanges start to integrate uh, with, with this technology as well. Seems like you and Invenium are really pioneers in this space. And do you have a case study or a success story right now that you can point to and go, hey, Chris, you know, this company or this person did X, Y, and Z and they created liquidity through tokenization or? Yeah, I would say um, a, a lot of the case studies that are that are really positive that are coming back to us come from like firms like Cushman Wakefield that are, are using the, the platform, really our data operating system and, and how we're sort of able to automate a lot of the kind of back end work that's needed for them to, to value an asset. So we're using AI to really kind of make that process much more efficient. So I think if you you hear the, the head of like valuation from Cushman Wakefield talk about how Invenium is sort of this conduit between the asset and the appraiser, where we're basically piping data 
and just making their lives much easier, making them more efficient. They've had issues with staffing. And so we're making it more efficient for them to value assets. That does compress costs a little bit, but allows them to do it on a monthly basis where they're doing 12 marks a year versus versus one mark. Um, and so that's that's really where you start to see more liquidity. You know, you, you, you're, you're doing what tech is supposed to do, right? Drive down costs, make things more efficient. So I think that's just great feedback that, that we're getting in the market. I'm curious for you, so you're at MIT, many people are gonna presume, hey, great gig, a lot of fun, you're in a great city. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Invenium comes across uh, your table. What was it about Invenium that inspired you or you thought, wow, I, I need to go work here? Yeah, it's a good question. I was at a great, great place. MIT was really a cool place to work, like lots of just intelligent, uh, intellectually curious people there that I really enjoyed that environment. I think that's really what turned me on to blockchain. I, I got exposed in 2017 while I was at MIT. And, you know, I, I've been just following the space and looking for that that intersection of commercial real estate and, and blockchain. And that's really where I, Invenium was the first company that I saw that was really looking at this. And so when I saw the tool, I was actually working at MIT at the time, and I saw a demo of the Invenium product. Uh, and then, you know, it, 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 the light bulb clicked pretty quickly for me. Uh, so I just haven't looked back uh, ever since. Great stuff. I'm going to give you the last word, Michael. Anything else you want to add or share? Um, yeah, I, th I just think, uh, you know, just really excited to, to be here with you. I really appreciate you uh, and everything you're doing to kind of provide education for the space. So happy to come back on here and, and dig into any of these uh, in, in more detail. I think I think we can go really kind of deep and narrow on some of the topics that we just sort of touched upon today. So 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 thanks for having me. Thank you. And I appreciate you saying that because we're getting a lot of great feedback about the education piece, which, you know, because you're doing a great job as well. So I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to give out your DeFi report uh, website and how people can access you. Sure. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I read a, a newsletter. It's called the DeFi report. Anybody can find that it's free. Um, if you just kind of Google, you know, the DeFi report, Michael Nato uh, should pop up for you. Perfect. And there it is. The DeFi report. So just Google that and um, go enjoy. He does incredible, incredible amount of research and it's very, very well laid out. So if you're, uh, you know, DeFi curious, uh, Michael do a great job educating you what's going on. So Mike, as always, appreciate the insight. We look forward to doing this again soon. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate it, Chris. Take care. I'm Chris Berg. This is Sound DeFi Podcast. Thank you for joining us. we got many more coming up.